Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, my man? Not much, Bob. Just want to say happy Christmas or Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all you listeners out there. It can be a happy Christmas, too. Uh, yeah, it does. Whatever holiday you might be celebrating, hopefully you are enjoying this time. Hopefully you spend some of it with your family. And uh, Bob, unfortunately, we won't get to see each other over the holidays, but uh, I opened the gifts you got me over the weekend. Uh, man, it seems like you know what kind of movies I like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, admittedly, Chris, you're you're probably one of the easier guys to to shop for in the family. But I'm glad you liked it. I still haven't gotten my gift yet. Um, I wonder what's up with that. It's in route. Don't worry. Don't worry. There <laughs> will know, be. I, I know. A carrier um, pigeon on the way. I know. I I am not. I don't. I don't expect anything. But I know. I know you got me something. Um, I'm sure you did. Um, yeah, I mean, thank you again for, for a great 2016, um, happy holidays to everybody. Um, just a disclaimer and, and we'll, we'll notice this at the end of the podcast as well. We are going to take, uh, next week off just to spend some time with our family and, and, and relax for the, for the holidays, but we will be back, uh, the first week of January to recap some, uh, some of those big college bowl games that are going to play out over the new year, uh, weekend. But again, thank you so much for, for, for a great year of listening. Uh, we have one more podcast here to, to run through. Um, speaking of those bowl games, if, if you do want to listen to uh, a really fun podcast, we recorded uh, our, our Bowl Bonanza podcast last week where we preview every college football bowl game. So definitely check that out. Um, Chris, did you did have you watched a bowl game yet? We are in bowl season now. I have not watched a bowl game yet. Not even a second of a <laughs> bowl game. Not yet. Yeah. So. Um, I watched a couple minutes of uh, Grambling State versus North Carolina A&T. It was enjoyable. Um, I couldn't tell you. I mean, we picked every single bowl game. I was uh, checking. I was at some uh, bars and, and at a wedding over the weekend. So, you know, ESPN was on it from time to time and, and bowl games were on. I could not tell you a single team that I picked <laughs> from those uh, December 17th games. Um, the only one really was that Houston San Diego State game that I remember, which I I did pick San Diego State and they did win. Um, but anyway, Houston, <laughs> letting me down all across the board this year. Very disappointed in the Cougars. Yeah, they let you down. They're consistent in disappointing you this year, I guess. That um, is. But true. anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, definitely check out that bowl uh, podcast. It, it was a fun time. Um, but with the holidays coming up, we are approaching. Uh, NBA uh, Christmas Day celebration. Um, they've kind of hijacked the holiday uh, for, for their own sport. Um, and Cleveland will be front and center with uh, hosting uh, a matchup, a rematch of the past two NBA finals with the Golden State Warriors. The first time they'll face Kevin Durant in a, in a Warriors uniform. Um, Chris, we, we've kind of become accustomed at least to seeing uh, LeBron on Christmas Day, but um, this particularly is a big deal because the Cavs are actually hosting Christmas Day. Yeah, it's a really big deal. I mean, this is the first time in eight years the Cavs have hosted a Christmas Day game. Now, LeBron is no stranger to Christmas Day. This will be his 10th straight Christmas Day games, counting all four seasons with the Heat. Sixth straight in a Cavs uniform since in the last six years LeBron has been in a Cavs uniform. They have played on Christmas Day, but they've only hosted three times with LeBron. The only other time they played with LeBron was his rookie year when they faced Orlando, and that was a loss in Orlando on Christmas Day. I think it went to overtime, if I remember correctly. Uh, LeBron has actually been pretty dominant on Christmas Day, 7-3 and three overall, and that's two straight losses. You know, he lost to the Warriors last year in Miami the year before that. Prior to that, he had won seven straight on Christmas Day, including all four with the Heat and his last three with the Cavs. So LeBron, a pretty pretty regular here on Christmas Day. But to get back to the original question, yes, I think this is a huge deal that the Cavs are hosting a Christmas Day game. Not just a Christmas Day game, because Christmas Day usually has a couple of games. You know, there are a couple of appetizers, there are a couple of undercards, and then there's the big one the spotlight one, the matchup that is the Christmas Day game. And last year, the Cavs weren't involved in that matchup. 
and actually the last two years, because I would say that Cleveland going back to Miami, LeBron's return was a pretty big deal on Christmas Day. But now they get to host the big one, the finals rematch, the first shot at the Warriors with Kevin Durant this year. Obviously, a lot of drama. LeBron Durant naturally have a rivalry, just being kind of the two best players of their kind of ilk. And now Durant is kind of teaming up with LeBron's real rivalry in the NBA Finals of the last two years and just taking that to a whole nother level. So I do think this is a pretty big deal, not only for the city, but for the NBA, because we're finally going to get to see the new look Warriors take on the defending NBA champs. Yeah, for sure. I, I think this is the the biggest tentpole so far the NBA season. It could possibly be the, the biggest game of the the entire NBA season, um, barring some you know potential playoff games at the end of the season. Um, just because these these are two powerhouses coming together at full strength. Last year, um, it was really Kyrie Irving's first week back on duty, uh, um, playing uh, in NBA activities. Um, you know, he, he he hurt his knee in that first NBA final game uh, in 2014, or excuse me, uh, 2015, um, and, and then sat out the start of the season. So, um, you know, the Cavs you know, talked a lot of game about having not being at full strength against the Warriors in the finals. They they had all their guys together, but Kyrie definitely took a while to, to get his legs under him. Um, this season, though, both teams are operating at, at full cylinder, sitting on top of their respective conferences. Um, you know, people talked about the Warriors, you know, struggling to gel. Um, they certainly didn't get off to the start that they got off to last year, which, I mean, is understandable because they set records last year. Um, but they have been lights out and, and have been incredibly efficient, are on pace to set some records with um, assist totals and assists per games and whatnot. The Cavs are, are, are on pace to set records for the number of three-pointers made in, in, in games and whatnot. So, um, they're they're both on a collision course, and I think that um, the collective NBA world is going to tune in, and I think it's it's going to be the marquee matchup of the year. Um, that being said, this is just one game of an 82 NBA game season, Chris. I mean, we have a whole bunch of stars going head to head, but how how big a deal is this matchup, Warriors versus Cavs? I think it's a middle deal. Not not quite a no deal. This is not a normal regular season game. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I can't just write it off as a normal one. I know it's in December, and I know I generally have a rule that anything that happens before the All-Star break is mostly irrelevant. I do think Christmas Day is a slight exception because this is kind of the NBA's version of the NFL Thanksgiving Day games. These are naturally marquee matchups. But I think this one in particular is a big deal because of what's happened the last two years between the Cavs and the Warriors. This isn't just like, oh, these are two great teams meeting. They've met in the NBA Finals the last two years, and by all accounts, they are the overwhelming favorites to win both of their respective conferences. With all due respect to the Clippers and the Spurs, the Warriors are the favorites to win the West. I mean, I think most people would be pretty surprised if Cavs-Warriors rubber match didn't happen again in the NBA Finals. So with that as a backdrop, with the fact that Kevin Durant defected from the Thunder, killing one of the Warriors' obstacles to a three-peat Finals appearance, uh, and joined the Warriors... And now you have LeBron's kind, like all of LeBron's rivals, all in one spot. I think you not only have the LeBron Durant thing, you have the Cavs Warriors. This is as epic of a regular season game as you're going to get. But even with all that, I think it's a middle deal because at the end of the day, like you said, Bob, it's December 25th. We've got a long ways to go before the playoffs start. Four months. That's an eternity in the NBA. Uh, a trade deadline, all that stuff. So in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's going to matter who wins this game, but I do think the game itself is a bigger deal than a normal regular season game because of the history between these two teams. Yeah, I, I think um, the the Warriors did it in 2015. The Cavs ha- have done it um, in 2016 and, and into uh, – 
really that they've kind of tailed often. They, they've been uh, rubbing th- that win in the Warriors' face uh, in a number of ways a- after winning the title this year, and, and the Warriors did it uh, um, last year. Understandably so. I mean, you're excited to win a championship and whatnot, but um, they've talked some direct smack talk to each other, and, and there's definitely bad blood now. I mean, you, you can't not have it after having two straight NBA Finals matchups, um, splitting them, um, relatively the same players going to head-to-head, and the new the newcomer Kevin Durant um, certainly um, feels like he needs to prove himself against LeBron. So, like you said, that that's uh, another wrinkle in it. Um, so they're both going to try their best uh, on the court. They're not going to have this game. They're 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 going to try to win. Um, but at at the same time, uh, the Cavs have lost this game two years in a row now. Um, they got handled pre- pretty badly against the Warriors last year. Um, it wasn't a, ve- a very close game. I, I just remember it not being an enjoyable game to watch for, for, for me as a Cavs fan. Um, and they turned out fine in, in both in both years. They went to the finals. They, they've won. They beat the Warriors the, the second time. So um, it, there's not a lot to take away from it, but there's definitely some ego and reputation uh on the line for both sides and admit it or not they are going to try their best and try to show up the other side and I think last year was even very different too because last year you know David Blatt was still the coach and yet just had this feeling that the Cavs were on thin ice with one another and then in January when the Warriors came to Cleveland and destroyed them everything changed about the Cavs. They fired David Blatt and Tyrone Liu was wasn't a big improvement to say the least and then they went out and get Channing Frye and then they meet in the finals as a whole different team. This time around things feel like they are what they are. I, I don't see drastic changes coming from either team um, this time around. You know I, I think now that the Cavs sort of broke back and got the title from the Warriors and it's a 1-1 that they're on even footing, it's game on. That this is truly a rivalry, this is truly something special, and we can get our arms around this. But but last year, there, there was more uncertainty. This time around, there's no uncertainty. There's no drama surrounding the Cavs. We've talked about this a number of times. There are no Kevin Love rumors every other day. You know, there, there are no Will LeBron sign rumors every other day. There's nothing. There, it is nothing but good vibes out of Cleveland. And the Warriors have been stable forever because they won the championship even earlier and, and and I don't hear any of those that talk coming out of Golden State now now admittedly I live across the country but you know the, Golden State just doesn't get that the same way Cleveland did last year so at the end of the day when you've played 17 games against a team over the last two years this will be their 18th matchup since LeBron came back to Cleveland I mean that's a lot when you consider most teams east west only play each other twice these guys have met now for the 18th time coming up here on Christmas Day. There is bad blood. The Cavs ripped the title away from the Warriors. The year before, the Warriors capitalized on some misfortune on Cleveland's part. And I'm not trying to put an asterisk next to their title, but the Cavs were missing two of the best players. That left a sour taste in Cleveland's mouth. They felt they didn't get, have a chance to give the Warriors their best shot. Well, then when they did, they took the title from them. So now... It's kind of a game-on situation, and I think both teams want to prove that they're the better one, and I think they both realize that if either of them wins the rubber match, they will ultimately have that, and this is the first taste of what right now is the best rivalry in the NBA. Yeah, for sure. It, it'll definitely be fun to watch. It, Christmas Day, um, I still don't get tuned into NBA season as a whole, but it's certainly the first time that I sit down and actually watch the basketball game play out, um, depending on what my family is doing and whatnot. But um, most of the time, I, I do tune into those games and check it out. And I think that this is definitely going to be a, a uh, fantastic match. I think it's going to have a huge pull uh, amongst all viewers. So it'll definitely be fun to see. Um, you know, stepping back a little bit, uh, the Cavs are, are in the midst of, of quite a stretch. Um, five games, seven days, two back-to-backs, including uh, going on the road after that Warriors game. Um, any concern uh, f- for the Cavs on this stretch or anything that you're looking for from them? First off, why is that Detroit game played on December 26th? 
why can't they play that on the 27th? You're already asking these guys to play on Christmas Day, and I know they get paid millions upon millions. I'm not saying let's feel sorry for them. But I think an unwritten rule should be, if you play on Christmas Day, at least get the day after off so you can celebrate with your family a little bit. I mean, I think that that's just kind of a slap in the face to the Cavs, who, by the way, are the defending champs. I could understand if you want to keep the Warriors on the West Coast and play Detroit or something like that. But but the Cavs, I mean, that's just a two-hour drive up to Detroit. Excuse me, three-hour drive up to Detroit. Not like they can't do that on Tuesday. Give them an off day. I... I don't think that that was a smart decision by the NBA to make a team play on Christmas Day and then the day after Christmas Day. Give them a little breather here. But to answer your question, you're right. This is probably one of the toughest stretch of the schedule. I mean, you got Milwaukee twice, Tuesday and Wednesday, in that weird home-and-home back-to-back that they do every now and then. And then the Brooklyn Nets on Friday. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cavs uh, kind of punt on a couple of these games um, maybe not, you know, play all their guys. Kevin Love has already been ruled out for one of the Milwaukee games. So I, I think we're going to see some maintenance over this week, but we're definitely not going to see any maintenance on that Christmas Day game on Sunday. If there's one game I am 100% certain they were going to go full bore on, it is that one. But yeah, I certainly think the Cavs are going to um, rest a little bit just so they can uh, give their best effort on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's concerning for, for any team to, to play that many games in that little time, but um, Cleveland has been masters of, of giving their guys timely rest uh, here and there. Uh, as seen in, in the last back-to-back uh, against the Grizzlies, um, they, they went full force uh, in the home game, and then they just told their big three to just stay home. So uh, they, they'll definitely do some maintenance, but yeah, I mean, no way is anybody resting uh, on Christmas Day. Um, the fortunate thing for, for the Cavs um, and just for their well-being is that uh, starting Wednesday, they will be home um, all the way through Christmas. So, you know, concerns for their family and whatnot, they they will get some time to spend with them. So that'll be nice. And Detroit, like you said, it's only a three-hour drive. I think um, they'll probably uh, take the bus home right, right after that, that game. So um, I, I think they'll definitely have some time for their family, but um, yeah, it's a little odd that they schedule them a back-to-back when they are asking them to play, uh, not just on Christmas Day, but like right there in the middle of the day. So taking up your whole day for Christmas, I don't know. That that makes me kind of sad. But um, we go ahead. Oh yeah, my only thing is it's like. It- if you move it to the 27th, now you play about every other day next week. I, I just felt the back-to-back was a little unnecessary. It's not like they were in Golden State and asking to play Sacramento. I could see that because then, you know, you're only traveling a little bit from Golden State to Sacramento while you're on the West Coast. But I, I just don't get why they're making the Cavs go that day when they could have done it on the 27th. Yeah. Who knows? I'm sure there's a reason uh, or just an oversight or whatever. But um, last piece of Cavs news, or excuse me, not last piece, but a big piece of Cavs news, Chris Anderson, Birdman, uh, the Cavs backup center, one of their only true post players, uh, tore his ACL in practice. So Cavs are down to three traditional big men, Channing Fry, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson. Uh, Thompson really being the only one of those three that uh, has – you know, completely plays in the low post and it is your, is your go-to guy to, to guard the center. So, um, now there's a need for, for a low post center. Um, obviously with Mo Williams occupying a spot, there's a need for backup point guard. Those are two veterans, uh, minimums contracts that, uh, are guaranteed that are on the books, but you're not going to get any production out of either of those guys for the rest of the year. Um, Chris, how concerned are you that, that Anderson is out? Um, and, and are, do you think that, uh, the Cavs will be able to replace him in some kind of move. All right, well, big picture here, this isn't a huge deal. He was a depth piece more for the regular season than the postseason and a matchup guy in case you face some big centers. Um, so I, I don't think this is a huge deal from a big picture standpoint. But I do think that Birdman had a lot of value in helping guys get rest like Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, and Channing Fry, the guys you just mentioned, because he can play in the low post. You can up his minutes during the regular season to give people some rest. So I certainly think that there is a need there to find someone to fill that role. The good news is those guys aren't particularly hard to find. I think the Cavs can do it. But once again, they're going to have to get creative with the roster because they're probably going to have to find a suitor 
to take Mo Williams and Chris Anderson off of their hands, or at least one of them off of their hands, to free up the roster spot necessary to sign someone to a contract or, or something along those lines. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that for salary cap purposes, they will have to get a little creative here and uh, try to work something out. But you know what? The Cavs have shown some uh, remarkable creativity over the last couple of years. Uh, David Griffin has done a fantastic job. I'm confident that they will figure this out. Uh, so it, it's it's a it's it's a significant loss, but in the big picture, I wouldn't say it's one to to sort of sweat or panic over. Yeah, I'm concerned only in the fact that uh, there's not a bench guy that can um, you know take some minutes away from the, those stars and Thompson and Love and even Fry. Um, they, they need a, a, another body to throw out there. I think Chris Anderson's contributions are, are pretty easily replaceable. Um, and you can get that on the cheap, like you said. Uh, they'll have to do it in a creative manner, but um, money really isn't an option. But uh, they'll probably wait till closer in the deadline to, to pull the trigger and, and bring a guy in just because it'll save them some cash. But um, it's not concerning, like you said, in terms of the performance of the team in a micro level. But macro, you, you need to, these guys to be fresh and you need to give them opportunities to rest. You don't want them to get hurt. And that's where it is a little bit concerning because now you're down a big body. You're going to have to rely on Channing Fry to go in the post more and, and, and play backup center. That's not really uh, why you have him on the team. You want him to shoot threes. So um, that is a, a, a bit of a concern. But, uh, again, um, if they make it to the postseason healthy, like you said, Chris Anderson wasn't really going to play. Bob, just curious. Have you seen pictures of the proposed remake of the Q Arena? Yeah, it looks it looks pretty cool. It looks kind of crazy, man. They're gonna put like a glass wall all around it. Yeah, but I, I it's kind of crazy how how far out they're gonna build. They're gonna extend it, which uh, is kind of unheard of. But I I thought it looked cool, and I think it's a good idea. Oh no, I think I think it looks cool. And, and look, the arena's been around for a while, so it certainly could use a remake, kind of like uh, what the Jake went through a couple of years back when they put in the corner bar. They they did a phenomenal job with now progressive field uh with the statues the center field area just has so much more life and character now it it really looks fantastic um so hopefully the queue can do something similar and and i heard that once the renovations are complete cleveland will probably get to host the all-star game which is another big plus for doing it as well for sure i i think it was needed i also um I'm pretty happy with the distribution of, of who's going to pay for it. That's a, a big thing that I care about when we talk about stadiums and renovations. Um, the It's not all uh, on the ownership. Uh, Cleveland, The city of Cleveland is going to pay for some, but the burden isn't going to fall on the taxpayer at all, which I think is fantastic. And I think um, bringing in an all-star game like that will, will only, again, boost more revenue for the city of Cleveland. So I think it, it really is good. Other news too, the NBA and the players reached a collective bargaining agreement. Bob, this is kind of surprising. I think a lot of people thought the NBA was heading to a lockout. Um, are you Were you surprised by the announcement? I, I, I was kind of stunned that they got something done. Yes and no. Um, there, there's just so much money right now in the NBA that, that uh, both sides are still kind of readjusting to, to the new normal. And I think that uh, both sides took advantage of that and are like, hey, we, we are all getting richer right now. Let's just keep it the same. Let's not make a whole lot of big changes. Let's keep the distribution of wealth the same. And you know, let's let's both get richer and let's enjoy these spoils. Um, so that uh, it wasn't really all that surprising that they came to an agreement. Um, I, I think that some of the. I was expecting a little bit more change and, and some pushes on, on, on certain things. And, and this collective bargaining agreement really is, uh, except for a few wrinkles, uh, a little bit, uh, pretty much just more, more of the same uh, from the last one. So I thought that was surprising. The fact that they got it done without a lockout, I, I didn't find too surprising just because everybody is rich right now in the NBA and that everybody's enjoying it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's... I guess from that standpoint, it's not too shocking because money always talks. But I, I thought that they would extend into the summer. I, I didn't think that they were going to get it done in the winter. I, I definitely thought that there would be an opt-out. I wasn't afraid that they would lose games. I just thought that they would take more time to do it. I, I guess that was the surprising part to me was that it was done now as opposed to opting out and then using the summer to negotiate. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't, I wasn't paying too much attention to the, to the CBA right now. Um, I think if they didn't come to an agreement, I think, uh, there would be more discussion on, on what, uh, was holding it up and whatnot. And then I would probably pay a little bit more attention to, but, um, LeBron being vice president of the NBA PA and his, his, his good pal, Chris Paul being the president, um, they seem to have, uh, gotten a big win for themselves with the, with the over 36 rule now being over 38, um, that seemed to be the biggest change change in, in contract structures. Um, also, younger players, uh, the, the franchises can designate two players now uh, to to extend the max contract on on their first uh, when they first hit free agency. But um, those are the two big changes. One of those directly benefits LeBron and maximizing his value um, as vice president of the NBA PA. Do you think that um, him and Chris Paul kind of Took, took care of themselves before taking care of the rest of the league? I, I don't think they took care of themselves before they took care of the rest of the league. I don't think that was on their mind per se. I, I believe LeBron when he says that the focus was on all the veterans and not just him. But there's no doubt in my mind that LeBron and Chris Paul were certainly trying to secure a win for themselves because this definitely allows them, who are both coming up on free agency, to sign a much more lucrative five-year deal. Uh, LeBron's projected into the 200 millions, possibly, um, because this technicality got pushed back to over 38. So there is certainly was an a motivation for both of them to look out for all the veterans because they were part of that group. I, I believe that their intention was to look out for everyone. They just also happened to be in that pool. Um, so there was extra motivation for them to make it an issue. And I don't, I, I don't fault them for it. But And I believe that their intentions were good. But there's no doubt that it certainly benefits them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was kind of concerned about this when Chris Paul became president, when I heard that LeBron was, was actively uh, seeking a leadership role in the NBA Players Association. Um, not that I think they shouldn't have vocal voices, but your superstars, when, when you're the top 5% of the league, you can make your voice heard without being part of the leadership, without being at the table for, for negotiating these deals. Um, I, I think with most of the changes affecting these guys that uh, that that can't have a long sustained career where they can be in a position to have another contract at the age of 36 or 38. I mean, that's, that's a rare group as well. Um, most of the contract changes don't really help the middle or the bottom of the NBA. And I think that's a little bit unfortunate and that's what you want your leadership to take care of. Um, so I, I am a little bit disappointed in, in the, in the leadership in that respect, but I, I can't fault, um, you know, you're, you're in your position of power to, to, to better yourself. So, so of course you would do it. I, I'm not mad or I don't think it's shameful or anything, but I, I think they did have a responsibility to take care of the guys that aren't going to be around at age 36 that can, can maximize their earning and have a little bit more flexibility and what the kind of contracts they can sign uh, earlier in, the, in their career. And, and that's a fair criticism, uh, but just to also be fair that a lot of the cap exceptions, the minimum salary, mid-levels, and rookie exception were all increased, which definitely affects that pool of players as well, especially the rookies. Um, the minimum salary going up definitely affects some of those veterans like Chris Anderson who bounce around late in their careers. Uh, so, so I do think that there was some good done um, on that front. But you're right. I mean, Draymond Green has vocalized his, you know, there should be more done to protect those middle of the t middle tier players who, like you said, are not going to have LeBron or Chris Paul like careers. So, so I agree there is more work that needs to be done um, from the players union side. But I also think that like any collective bargaining negotiation, you kind of pick and choose your battle. Uh, perhaps this was a good time to fix the over 36 rule and perhaps a later negotiation is a time to make more progress. So I, I do think progress was made on those fronts. I, I agree more should be done, but you know, sometimes you just got to take what you can get at the bargaining table. Yeah. And at the end of the day, these dudes are millionaires, so I'm not going <laughs> to stand up and, and cry foul for, for their rights. Um, they're all in, enjoying a good life. So When your um, minimum salary is like about $1.2 million, um, I, I, I'd take that any day. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, um, with this being our last podcast of 2016, we did want to take some time to 
uh, take a step back and do a, a year in review, uh, I think we would both agree, and most Clevelanders out there would agree, and if you don't agree, I don't know what your standard is of excellence is, but this has been a fantastic year for Cleveland sports. NBA Finals, Cavs champions, Cleveland Indians getting to the World Series, the, the Lake Erie Monsters, now the Cleveland Monsters winning the Calder Cup, um, has exceeded ex- my expectations. I think it's been fantastic. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat with me, Chris. Um, but would you consider this to be the best year in Cleveland sports history? Oh, resounding, yes. I mean, anytime you end a 52-year major championship drought, it's going to be hard to top that. And that's even without the Monsters or the Indians doing anything. I mean, those those two teams and the Browns could have all gone winless, and it still would have been the best year in Cleveland sports history just because of the championship. But when you add in the Indians almost coming so very close to heading a World Series to couple with those other two championships, I mean... Bob, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you top this one. Um, You know, 2016, area code 216, it just lined up so perfectly. Um, And it wasn't just that it was a great year. I mean, the teams were genuinely fun. Uh, They they were guys that you could get your arms around. Um, I I don't believe that there were any, like, bad characters on any of the teams. Uh, I mean, the closest guy who had a rap would be, like, J.R. Smith, but... Since he's been in Cleveland, I mean, he's just been a, a pretty much a model citizen. Um, I think he's had you know one incident, but other than that, I mean, no real like rotten apples. It's not like they had to go out and sign a guy who had a huge trouble pass to get him over the hump or anything like that. You know, LeBron James is anything but that. He's he's just so entrenched in the community of Akron. He really is. I believe. I don't care what you think about him on the court. I mean, certainly Chicago fans, Washington fans, Golden State fans, you can cheer against him. But I don't think any of them would say that he's not a a great role model for young athletes. I think that he carries the game very well, and so so it's just fun. It's, it it makes it even better to cheer for guys like that who are also very successful in your own city. And so it, it it's been just a phenomenal year. I don't expect it to be topped. I certainly hope one day I get to witness a World Series because the Indians are my favorite of the three. But um, at the end of the day, uh, this was just an unbelievable year for Cleveland sports. Yeah, it it truly has. Um, It's Like you said, it's pretty unbelievable, hard to fathom at times that the Cavs are are reigning NBA champions right now. Um, I I will uh, do some brief acknowledgments, though, to the year 1954 when the, the Cleveland Browns won the uh, NFL championship and, and the Indians did make it to the World Series. That is definitely a contender in Cleveland sports history. In 1948, when the Indians won the World Series and the Cleveland Browns won the All American Football Championship. So, those are probably uh, the the two other greatest years in Cleveland sports history. And I think this one, with the drought and with the history uh, uh, of devoid uh, uh, championships since those those heydays of the Browns and, and the Indians. I think this has definitely been a renaissance and, and probably deserving of uh, of the best year in Cleveland sports history for sure, and, and one that I really won't forget um, in, in a long time. Um, for, for me, uh, best Cleveland sports moment, I mean, how, how can it not be the, the Cavs winning the NBA championship, overcoming a, a 3-1 deficit against not just any uh, Western Conference title contending team, but the defending NBA champions, the record-setting Golden State Warriors uh, set unprecedented, unprecedented records for, for wins in a season, um, had the two-time MVP Steph Curry. The Cavs looked just overmatched, and they won three in a row, two on the road against the Warriors, including a Game 7 on the road. I mean, uh, I'm getting goosebumps talking about just how fantastic that feeling was and how amazing that was. I mean, Chris, is there another moment in Cleveland sports history this year that that comes close to that? Well, it's tough to top that one. But for me personally, um, my moments and and, and it's hard for me to pick just one. But but I had the pleasure of covering the Calder Cup final. It was an overtime game, a last second goal, like, like overtime was about to expire and they scored in the last second, got to go on the ice interview the players and, and kind of see them celebrate. I, I thought that was a really surreal moment, and it was really, really loud in the arena as well. 
Um, and, and then similar in the World Series, you know, to watch the Cubs win was tough, but it was also kind of special to be there all four games and watch kind of history happen. And that Game 7 in the World Series was just phenomenal. So, so from a personal standpoint, my favorite Cleveland moment was being able to cover um, two of the three kind of championships that were won in Cleveland. Um, unfortunately, the, uh, the, the latter of the two was not a Cleveland championship, but it was still a very special World Series. And, and I think that uh, it was very fun to, to have been a part of it in, in, in a small way as a reporter. So uh, definitely a highlight in my career. And um, I, I had a blast uh, covering those events. And of course, I had a blast, uh, you know, breaking down into tears uh, when the Cavs won the NBA Finals. Yeah. And just note, I was not reporting on that game so i'm allowed to cry <laughs> i don't think I, I think if you were there and, and i i think uh, a lot some of those uh beat writers that have been covering the cows for a long time uh, probably teared up as well so i think you would have been allowed to cry at the queue if, if you were there or excuse me not the queue but at the oracle arena maybe i you know what I, I have a lot of respect for these guys because uh, the world series was hard not to cheer that was the toughest assignment ever to to keep it all in check especially when rajay davis hit that three-run shot it was so tempting to go nuts but but nobody did i mean you know the, these guys are pros and so uh you know I, I do think that uh you know most of them probably kept it in check it's just part of the job all right I could believe that, I guess. Um, what about uh, just for the city of Cleveland? I mean, I mean, it, it's not just a sports renaissance. I, I thought it was a big year for for Cleveland in general. Uh, is there a moment that sticks out non-sports? Yeah, for me, um, leading up to the Republican National Convention, I think a lot of people thought that there were going to be some incidences that that it was going to be hard to get out of such a what was a very volatile political year to say the least uh without any problems but but the city of cleveland did a phenomenal job hosting that convention um you know with any political convention democrat or republican you have a wide range of people from all scopes of life and political affiliations coming together and there are protesters and it can get heated and it can escalate very quickly the police did a phenomenal job of you know, patrolling the streets, but more importantly, the people did a phenomenal job of just doing so in a respectful way. I mean, there were no incidences, none. I mean, I I couldn't believe that there wasn't one story of someone just doing something stupid. And I mean, it's not like there wasn't a lot of potential. I mean, people were open carrying. There were a lot of guns down there. There were political environments can get heated. But I'm just glad that cooler heads prevailed and everyone was allowed to express themselves. And, and it just came and went without any incidents. And I think that moment really put Cleveland on a pedestal and allowed it to shine because it showcased why our city is really just, you know, I think one of the best in the world. Yeah, I, I think that was a great um, you know, segue from, from NBA championship uh into the republican national convention i i, I thought um th they handled themselves really well and i i actually got a chance to go downtown um i was in town um, during the convention and it was pretty eye-opening and, and pretty um uh, there's definitely some energy that i i really hadn't really experienced before um and, and something that I'll, I'll definitely remember and i think like you said cleveland definitely handled themselves uh admirably and in a fantastic way i thought that was a great moment um, looking out, uh, non Cleveland sports, I thought it was a, a really good year. I mean, we started off with a, a fantastic college football championship game, Clemson, almost knocking off the giant Alabama Deshaun Watson, having a fantastic comeback effort. I thought the NFL playoffs were really great. Um, and, and the, the Olympics happened, which I think is just fantastic. I, I love that. That would probably be my favorite non Cleveland sporting moments was just, um, getting to take in as much olympic sports as possible I, I really had a blast and i thought you know obviously uh, this has been a really enjoyable sports year because two of our teams have been really fantastic um but i thought overall there, there's just been some really key moments and and, and on and off the field uh, sports wise that, that have been really fantastic to watch no, certainly. I did not get to watch a lot of the Olympics, um, but but I do definitely agree. There were a lot of intense games this year uh, in the NFL playoffs. Uh, you know, Patriots-Broncos AFC Championship game was a 
unbelievable game. Uh, it's just it was a really good year for sports. And 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 you know what? Even though they did it at the expense of the Indians, tip of the cap to the lovable losers out in Chicago, the Cubs ending their drought as well. It was a it was a year to end curses. Cleveland ended its curse, and then Chicago ended its curse. So you know, in talking to some of the fans with Chicago as I'd walk to the stadium, you know, they 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 did feel a little bad that it had to come at the expense of Cleveland uh, because they knew that Cleveland suffered just as much as they did. At least the fans I talked to were pretty pragmatic about it. And, and I thought that was kind of a cool, you know, to experience that, that, hey, you know, we both suffered. We both understand that one of us is going to keep on suffering and they can kind of acknowledge the fact that at least someone's going to get the monkey off their back. Yeah, I guess so. I <laughs> I have my I have my feelings with the Cubs, but that's good that there are fans and their fan base that felt that way for Cleveland. I think I think you had a di- nice some different least. experiences with Cubs fans. You obviously were not talking yeah. to the Cubs fans I were talking to. Yeah, well, you were talking to the ones that cared enough to to actually go to Cleveland and buy a ticket. I was talking to the ones that uh, decided to buy a Cubs hat a month <laughs> before they went to the World Series. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm a Cubs fan, but anyway, I'm not. Let's not talk. It was a fantastic year, 2016. Again, uh, I, I'm really thankful for this podcast and for um, you know getting the chance to hang out with you and talk these sports. And I'm grateful that it's been a fantastic Cleveland sports year as well. Me too. But Bob, you might not be grateful to hear this next topic. Yeah, we kind of avoided the 2016 <laughs> NFL season, <laughs> um, but we yeah we are, we're two games away from from an 0 16 season. The parade is funded. Yes, I did see that, yeah. Oh, man, Bob. I, I, how can you think they're going to win a game after what they did against Buffalo? I mean, do you think – I mean, they got San Diego and they got Pittsburgh. Will they end it? Will they win one of those two games? That's the bottom line. And and if, and if they're going to, who do you think they beat? Well, I mean, come on. I mean, at the Steelers to end the year, the Steelers are going to be in the playoff hunt. No way are they, are they winning that game, so – they're hosting the Chargers on uh, on Christmas Eve. Th- this is your shot. I mean, the Chargers have been up and down. Um, th- they're dealing with some injuries. No more Melvin Gordon. Um, Joey Bosa got hurt. Uh, they they too are, are are struggling a little bit right now. But um, this is your one shot. And y- y- if you want to win a game, now's the time. Um, the 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 sad thing is that if the 49ers don't win another game and the Browns do win this game, they'll be drafted second. Because their strength of schedule is harder than the 49ers, so they will they will lose the tiebreaker or win it in whatever way you want to see, but they will technically be above the 49ers. So, uh, yeah, it's it's do or die against the Chargers. I don't think they're going to do it. I think if you really, truly want to win, uh, Robert Griffin has just been uh, not good. You have to go back to Cody Kessler, Josh McCowan, um, if you truly want to win that game. I think logically the Chargers make sense. They are banged up. But how cool would it be for the 0-15 Browns to knock the Steelers out of the playoffs? Oh, that would be fantastic. I mean, I kind of really, really want that to happen. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's going to happen. But to me, it would just be so satisfying for the 0-15 Browns to go into Pittsburgh and, and not just beat them, but knock them out of the playoffs. Now, consequently, that means Baltimore wins the division. I can live with that if it means that Pittsburgh is the only win on this team's resume. Yeah, I, I could too. The, unfortunately, I mean, the Steelers have won five in a row. Uh, they were 4-5, and five, now they're 9-5. and five. Uh, They look really good. Le'Veon Bell's healthy. I think, you know, he, he's just... The, the the Browns unfortunately are terrible on all facets of the game. So even if they figure out the quarterback position, they're still going to give up more than thirty points to the opposition. I just don't think they can keep up. Um, so I I don't think that's going to happen. But it would be fantastic. You're right. Does Hugh Jackson need to win one of these two games to save his job? No, I, I think everybody that was hired this year got a hall pass. That's why they cut Paul Kruger, Dante Whitner. Uh, Carlos Dansby, that's why they let five or six starters walk in, in free agency. Excuse me, not all starters, but contributors walk in free agency. I think um, everybody was higher with the understanding that this is going to be a terrible year. 
We are going to draft high. We're That's why we're trading out of that number two pick. We're going to stockpile draft picks and play for next year. I think everybody still has a hall pass. Next year, they got to win some games for sure. There's no Nobody's going to be allowed to go 0-16 for a second year. But uh, Hugh Jackson, everybody on his coaching staff, is, if he's satisfied with them at least, uh, it ha- has a free pass this year. I agree 100%. I hope that everything you said is true. And not only that, I'm going to go one-up it. If you're giving them a hall pass for this year, you have to give them two more years to let it all play out because next year is really your year one to get that foundation off the ground. I agree with you. You can't go 0-16 next year, but I think that that even the – it's really hard to go 0-16 two years in a row. So I'm willing to bet that next year the Browns are going to win some games. And I think if they just have a bad season last year, then you set the stage for the money year, which would be year three. You have to show good progress and be in that seven to eight win range in order to keep this thing going. But I I agree with you. I think there has to be a pass for this year. And that means it doesn't count as a second bad year if you have a bad year next year. Obviously, if you go 0-16 two years in a row, everything's going to be fired. But like if you go 5-11 and 11 next year, I mean, you showed progress, so I don't think you can then just fire them next year too. I think you have to see this through, get some stability in there, and let a plan play out. So I agree with everything you said. I just hope Jimmy Haslam also agrees with everything you said. For sure. Yeah, I, I think you have to win some games next year, and everybody that you've invested in draft pick-wise has to show some progress the Browns are on, on track to have two top ten picks, the number one overall pick and and a, and a late pick in that in the top ten there uh, with the Eagles pick. Um, they have to show in, in progress and show their worth in their rookie seasons. Uh, Corey Coleman, uh, Agba, these guys that you invested in uh, this year have, have to show signs of improvement. But I, I think they they have a, a really long leash. I think obviously everyone's tired and frustrated and bitter right now because you're on the verge of the second 0-16 season in NFL history. Um, yes, morale is going to be really low, but heading into next year, I think it, they're going to have a fresh start and, and will have uh, more leeway to to have a have a a poor season, but but you know t- t- uh, at least they're going to have to win some games. By the way, if there's any consolation, Carson Wentz does not look very good. And Jared Goff, yeah. I mean, he's only played a couple games, but he looks pretty raw as well. Certainly, the Browns look pretty smart for not drafting those two players. For sure. Yeah, uh, it has worked out so far. Obviously, uh, Dak Prescott is starting for the Cowboys and whatnot, but I think that's a little unfair to compare. Um, but they did take a, a, a nice they, – They, I think they made the right move in, in passing on both those guys and, and stockpiling assets for the future and also getting a quality player in Coleman. And Dak Prescott looks fine, and I'm not. I thought he should have been a second round pick. I was shocked that he fell as far as he did. But look, man, that offensive line is the real MVP of the Cowboys, and I think we both know that Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott, and Dak Prescott, while very talented players, are benefiting greatly from a team that was stockpiled with talent and just needed one or two pieces to push them over the edge. For sure, yeah. I, we 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 talked about that when the Cowboys played the Browns, but the, the Cowboys definitely benefited. Uh, they were the team. There's like one team a year that dips down in the top ten in the NFL draft. They had a poor year and then just bounce right back to to being a playoff contender. And that was the Cowboys. Um, they they had a nightmare season last year. They had a high draft pick invested in a running back, uh, and, and it paid off because they have a fantastic offensive line. So, um, yeah, it, that's a, that's a little unfair to to compare. Um, but he, he is out there, so you have to consider it. But um, definitely a, a good move passing on Goff and went so far. Obviously, you have to get a quarterback at some point, but um, so far I feel like they've made right moves in terms of personnel decisions. All righty. Speaking of another team that's currently trying to make some moves in personnel decisions, uh, Bob, all quiet on the Cleveland Indians front. No word on Edwin Encarnacion, and uh, rumor has it now that the Indians have offered Michael Saunders, an outfielder, a one-year deal. Uh, you think that's a good fit if he signs it? A one-year deal for sure. Uh, Michael Saunders, I looked up his stats, and then I saw that he was an all-star, and I was really confused. His first half, 16 home runs, 42 RBIs, and a two ninety eight batting average was fantastic. Second half, not so much. Eight home runs, 15 RBIs, and one seventy eight batting average. So, um 
the Indians are probably taking advantage of that poor second half and, and are trying to get him on a value contract. I don't think Michael Saunders is is the only piece that the Indians need to make if they are going to sign him. But a one-year deal, why not take take a risk and, and try to have him maximize his value with the Indians? Yeah, Saunders is the typical Cleveland Indians move, and I think it's a really good one. He's a solid outfielder who can hit for some pop, as you uh, explained in the numbers, always hovering around 20-25 home runs. So um, certainly I think that would be a great fit for the Cleveland Indians who – uh, need some depth at outfielder with the questions surrounding Michael Brantley and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, I'd love it. But, man, Encarnacion would be the ultimate prize if they could get him. Uh, I think that would really just kind of – it would get me excited for the season, I can tell you that. Yeah, I I, um, I started looking at Encarnacion. Uh, once I started reading about Michael Saunders, I was like, man – I, I I get I get Michael Saunders I get Mike Napoli but Encarnacion is on a whole nother level and I I would I would definitely be tempted and excited if he came to town um, but I I would settle with a couple of these value deals um, as long as it's not just Michael Saunders oh certainly I think if they don't get Encarnacion there will be a couple of moves but I don't think it's going to happen I don't I think he's using Cleveland as leverage but. If it does, man, that game on. You got that pitching staff, and you got one heck of a bat in the middle of the order. If everyone else keeps producing like they did last year, and Michael Brantley comes back healthy, that's a pretty scary lineup. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that would be a, a market improvement. Plus, you, you're expecting some of these AAA guys to come up and contribute as well. But anytime you say I, if three times in the same sentence, that's probably not a good thing. Very true, but <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> We're talking about some very some solid guys. I, I think you can count on at least a couple of them coming back. No, certainly. I agree with you there, Bob. But, um, Bob, it's kind of a sad moment right now. This is the end of 2016 as far as Klee Talk is concerned. Brother, it's been great doing the podcast with you for going on. We're about to come up on our two-year anniversary here in February, yeah. our second really full year of doing this. We certainly hope 2017 is just as great as the last two. And we thank all of you for supporting us over these last two years. Um, our, our following has grown, at least according to our website's numbers. So there are more of you out there, and, and we hope that you guys keep coming back and spread the good word. Um, but until then, we're going to have to say goodbye for 2016. We will be back the week of January 2nd with a ton to talk about Ohio State how did they do in the playoffs all the bowls and of course this Cavs Christmas Day game and whether or not the Cleveland Browns have completed imperfection or did they manage to avoid some bad history all of that when we come back two weeks from now uh, after New Year's until then you can go to FenleyWorldSports.com and check out our old podcast you can click in that little iTunes icon in the upper right corner and subscribe or if you don't want to do all that you can just type Fenley Road Sports into iTunes click Clee Talk and subscribe that way uh, please follow us on Twitter Fenley Road Sports Instagram Fenley Road Sports and come back to FenleyRoadSports.com we appreciate your help and again regardless of what holiday you are celebrating happy holidays Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and enjoy some sports, some Cavs Christmas, and the big-time bowl games. Definitely. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, Chris. All righty. Take it easy, Bob.